from law to love, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Father, we give you our lives, our thoughts, our mind, our attention this morning as we come into the study of your word. May you give us the spirit to open up the areas of understanding that we, we may peer into that mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may learn, that we may understand, and that we may proclaim your mercy, your love, and your deliverance. Give me the unction today as I speak your word. May it not be for my own mind or my own ability to deliver, but may your spirit give understanding to the word in which you have entrusted to us here today and until the time that we um, see you again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. From law to love. God had a different plan than the one that we think that we know in the Garden of Eden. God's intention was not that Adam should not eat of the fruit. Now last week I said that, and some of you had some thought on what I said, and some of you might, I even say, disagree with what I said, that God designed Adam to fail. God designed Adam so that he ate the fruit and that he sinned. Some of you might think that that can't be God. Let me give you two other stories for you to think about. Number one, the story of Moses. Now, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it Moses? Was it Pharaoh or was it God? Did you not read in the Bible that the Bible says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he would not let the people go. So who, who did it? Who caused the Israelites not to be set free from the captivity? Was it Pharaoh's or was it God? Second story, Judas. Was it his own? Or was it God that ordained him to sell Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver? Do you think that he did that by himself? He could have done that by himself. Could God have prevented him from selling Christ? Now you can say, God could have, then why didn't he? If he didn't, then he must have permitted it. Could God have prevented Adam from eating the fruit. He could, but we read the story and he didn't. Why? Because that's his will. If God didn't prevent something, then he permits it. If God permits something, then he ordained it. There's no difference. So if he ordains it, it must have been his will. If not, then he would have prevented it. If not, then he would have not been all-powerful. To say that Adam would not sin is impossible because Adam did sin. And you read in the Bible, and the Bible cannot be false. The Bible has to be true. So if the Bible says Adam sinned, then God must have permitted it. God is a God who orchestrates everything from beginning to end. There's nothing that God does not do, and there's nothing that God cannot do. So everything that God does, he permits. Or everything that happens, God permits. If God doesn't permit something, it never happened. That notion is the notion that we should approach 
reading the Bible, everything that you see and read here in the Bible, God permits it to happen. Take a step back for a moment. God's purpose for us is to have a relationship with him. That's God's purpose. God's purpose is not so that we would try to not fail. The tree that is placed in the garden was not to tempt us. The tree in the garden was part of God's plan so that he would have a relationship with you and I. But he cannot have a relationship with you and I through Adam. He cannot have. That's impossible. God's design in the beginning has always been to send his son so that through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ, we may have a relationship with God. God did not design you and I so that we would be tempted by those things which you are not allowed to have. That's not God's design. God's design has always been to have a relationship with you. So that when you walk by the tree, you don't want it. It's not that you have the power. Now this is where I would draw the distinction. This is where I'm not a Catholic yet. As I'm seeing the lack of devotion in the Protestant churches today, I wonder which is the worst evil. Because we believe in God the way that we want to, and in the end, we make up our own gods. We go to church whenever we want to, and we stay home whenever we want to. The life of community is no longer something that we strive to. The, the worship and the love of God isn't there in the Protestant churches. We make our own gods, and we worship gods in our own images. Yet, in the tradition before the Reformation, Christians were persecuted until the time of Constantine. And when Constantine made Christianity the religion of the Republic, um, Christians were not persecuted anymore. People's lives became more comfortable. They forgotten God. They were no longer devoted to God. So a set of people in the church separated themselves. They removed themselves from the Republic. They went out into the desert and they set their life to seek God, to devote to God. And we call these monks. These are Christians. This is before the Reformation, so it's us, it's all us. And they separated themselves, and they lived in total devotion to God because they believed that the world after Constantine became, well, sort of like the United States today, where the church is, yeah, it's there. Whenever I have time, I'll be part of it. Some people thought, no, this, this can't be. And I challenge you, has God changed? Has God changed? Does God care about how we worship God anymore? Where is the devotion? Where's the love for God now? We fit God into our spare time. We used to have three services. Whichever service that's convenient for you, you come. Is that the way that God is to be worshipped? God wants to have a relationship with us. He always has. The reason why I'm not going back Catholic is I don't believe there's any possibility that Adam could not sin. Adam has to sin because Jesus Christ is necessary. It has always been God designed so that you and I, we would have a relationship with God, not on our own terms, but only through Jesus Christ. That's God's design. That is God's ultimate design. Two covenants, the covenant of works through Adam. You look at the tree and you muster it up the strength and say, I resist the urge to take this fruit and I can do it because I have the ability to do so. That's work. And if you believe that you have that ability 
to resist the temptation, then you can earn God's righteousness by resisting the ability to take that fruit and eat it. Now, do you think you can? You think that God's covenant of work with Adam, if Adam obeyed the law, and the law is designed so that if you obey the law, you would be perfect, you would be righteous. So do you think that you can obey the law and not break God's heart? The key word in there. And not break God's heart, not break God's law. Because God's design for us is not to break his law, but to have a relationship with him. It is impossible. God's designed for us to have a relationship, and without Jesus Christ, we cannot have a relationship with God. The only way for you and I to not eat of the fruit is that we don't want it. We are above the law. We are no longer governed by the law. And the only way for you not to be governed by the law is that you are no longer under the law. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He abolished the law in him, meaning you have to be in Christ to be to not be under the curse of the law. And now you walk by the tree and you don't want it. It's not that you have the urge to resist it. You no longer want it because it no longer has any appeal to you because your love is now through Christ and in God. Now your love is with God. Just like you see someone who is beautiful to everyone else, but you look at that person and there's no interest because the love of your life is most beautiful. I hope that makes sense to you. Jesus Christ, what did he do? He fulfilled the requirements of the law so that the law can be finalized, finished in him. When you are in Christ, you no longer have to fulfill the law, meaning you no longer have the desire to break the law. You don't want it anymore. And now you are redeemed, you have the right standing with God, and therefore God can now adopt you. And now you are his children. Whereas before, you were his enemy. So going back to the first, to redeem them that are under the law. Before Christ, you are under the law. You always want to get that fruit. Now you are in Christ. You are no longer under the law because you have been redeemed. Now you are children of God. You have access to everything that God has. You don't want that fruit anymore because now you love God through Christ. You're being made free from sin through Christ. God adopts us and now we are his children. We're no longer just his creation. We're no longer under the curse of the law. You no longer have to tell your wives or your husband, why aren't you looking at that woman? There's just simply no desire. There is something much more desirable, and that is love. It's not prohibition. The minute you look away, the minute you're not there, that person is pursuing something else or trying not to. And you don't want that. That's not what you want. Law designed is to punish those who break the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The fact that the law is there, the fact that the law exists before Adam was because there is the possibility of breaking the law. If there is no possibility of breaking the law, then law would not exist. But because the law existed before Adam, it means that Adam has the capacity to break the law. And what is the law designed to do? The law designed to punish those who break the law. If there is no law, then there's no breaking of the law. Where there is no law, there is no possibility of breaking the law. I hope you understand this concept. So because Adam was there, the law was there, there is a possibility of breaking the law. 
That's why, that's what the law is designed to do. The law's purpose is to punish the sinners. That's all it does. Let me say this again. Did you get any merit for not breaking any law? Have you received any merit for not breaking any law? Go speed limit. The police pull you over and say, good job, here's the ticket for not breaking the law. There's, there's no such thing. Because the law only purpose is to punish you. The law does not reward you for not breaking the law. Because there is the law, you know that there is a capacity to break the law. Let me put it this way. Why do we have laws anyways? We're all good people. Are we not all good people? By nature, and because there's the law, the law exists, we know that we are not good people. Because if we are good people, then there wouldn't be any laws. The law exists, we try to be good, but we're not good. Inherently, we're not good. If everyone is good, you don't have to get a driver's license. If everyone's good, there would be no law at all. There is a place where there's no law. The kingdom of God. Kingdom of Christ, there is no law. We're no longer under law. We will be under grace. And grace, when you hear the word grace, the word that comes after grace is love. Grace and love. Law and punishment. The tree was only a tree until God put a prohibition on the tree. Thou shalt not eat. Because there is the prohibition on the tree, now there is a possibility of breaking the law. So the law designed to punish the evildoer. The objective of the law for us is to point us in the direction that God wants us. When you obey the law, society can operate normally. That you don't crash into each other when you're out there on the street. That's the design of the law, is so that everything is harmonized. The law of God was designed so that you would love God. But because there's the law, it's impossible for you to love God. So therefore, through Adam, no one can love God. Because if Adam loved God, then he would not have broken God's heart by listening to the serpent. But he did. It is impossible for you and I to fulfill the law without Jesus Christ. And the law's intent is, the law's aim, the law's purpose is to punish the sinner. But the law's aim is so that you would love God. Galatians 5.14 for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love. That is the law. That is the intent of the law. If you were in the Garden of Eden, God's will is not for you not to eat the tree. God's will is for you to love God and not break his heart. That's God's will. You see, now there is a problem. All you can think about is not breaking the law you're not thinking about breaking God's heart. And God's designed for you to love him. That is the intent of the law. While the law's purpose was to punish the sinners, the law's intent was for you to love God. So here we have a problem. The presence of the law tells you that you can't do it, and the law wants you to do something that is impossible, and that is love God. Why can't we love God? What is the reason? The reason is called the flesh. That is the reason. The flesh is weak. And because we are in the flesh, we cannot love God. That is why you must be born again. This is basic gospel. 
The flesh is weak while you and I were in the flesh, meaning everyone who is the descendant of Adam is in the flesh, and in the flesh we cannot love God. We never are able to love God, and therefore we will break God's heart, meaning we break the law. Our flesh is weak. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So what the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh, meaning what the law could not do in that it was it wanted you to love God. It cannot do that because your flesh is weak. What God did, God sent his son to condemn this weakness in his own flesh. How? By taking your sin and nailing them to the cross. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he took your flesh, the weakness of your flesh, and that got crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross. And therefore, the cross is so essential to the Christian faith because that is where our flesh died. At the cross is where our flesh died, our weakness died. And now, through believing in Jesus Christ, we are born again in the newness of life. Can you hear the Apostle Paul's word? Now, if you have not reading, you have not been reading the gospel, these might be might sound unfamiliar to you. But if you have, then these things should begin to come together, make sense to you. Now that Jesus Christ died, your flesh is now crucified on the cross. Now you have the capacity to be born again into the newness of life. And in this newness of life, you can now love before you can't. Before you try to, you have a knowledge of God and you try not to sin, but it is impossible for you not to sin. It is impossible for you to love. And now being born again, being adopted into God's family, now you are God's children, you can now love. Let me ask you this. Can you love someone else's mom? You had to think about it, didn't you? You have to think about it. Can you love your mom? You have to really try to hate your mom. Natural for us to love someone who is ours. And this is what God did. He adopts us. He takes us in. He becomes our father. This is how love becomes natural to those who are born again in Jesus Christ. So the purpose of the law is so that you love God and you love man. This here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That is the intent and purpose of the law of God. Jesus Christ allows you to be adopted into God's family, and now you are God's children. Now you can love him. It becomes natural to you to love him. Before you were his creation, you tried to resist the urge to sin. That's all you can do. And you can't because the flesh is weak. What happened when you sin? The punishment of the law is death. So the law leads to death. The law can only lead to death. All laws have consequences. And when breaking the law of God leads to eternal punishment because God is eternal and the punishment of someone who breaking the law of the eternal God is eternal punishment. 1 Corinthians 15. For in Adam, verse 22, all die. In Adam, all die. No exception. Everyone who is in Adam will die because everyone in Adam breaks the law because everyone in Adam cannot not breaking the law. And then in verse 56, 
the strength of sin, the strength of sin, what caused the sin to be so powerful is the flesh. The strength of sin is your flesh. So the flesh actually feeds sin. Your flesh is like the fuel for sin. The flesh is that thing, your flesh, before Christ, is the thing that makes sin so powerful. It thrives on your flesh. Think about Adam looking at that tree. His flesh, as he's looking at the tree, his flesh feeds into sin and it grows, it grows, it grows, and he's unable to fight it. So all of you who think that you are going to be better than Adam, think about this. Your flesh, your body, makes sin more powerful. That is why the cross is so crucial to the Christian, because this flesh has to die. I'm not talking about the physical body here. I'm talking about your flesh, your carnal mind. When you're standing there and you say, I have the, I have the power to resist the urge to sin, what you're actually saying is, I am very good. I'm full of pride. That's the flesh. And that feeds into, the when someone say, you should not do that, immediately you think, do what? I want to find out. That's the flesh. That's your flesh talking. When, when there's a prohibition, what you do is you're trying to figure out how you can circumvent the prohibition. Because that's what the flesh does. Once you challenge the law, once you can break the law and get away with it, you are better than the one who made the law. What is the law's intent? It is love. Matthew 22, 37 and 39. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That is the purpose of the law. Have you seen anyone able to do that without Jesus Christ? They can love everyone else, but can they love God? Isn't loving God the first commandment and the second one is subservient to the first? No one. In the flesh, no one can love God. Well, why do I have to love God? Can I just love everyone else and not love God? Why does God need me to love God? There is a, an order to creation. That chair that you are sitting on, someone made it. And the fact that you're sitting on that chair is because someone made it, someone bought it, someone put it here, someone set it up. Now you are part of that work. For you not to recognize that work is for you not to be human. It's just part of life, it is appreciating, it is the acknowledgement of the creative work that you are part of. You wake up and you don't see the sun. You don't exist. You wake up and there's, there's no earth underneath you. You don't exist. God created everything. God is called the creator. And if we don't recognize God through our love, and God only demands one thing, to love him, then your existence, you can't exist. If you exist and you don't recognize God, then you're breaking God's law. So God says to love God with all your heart and to love man with all your heart. That's the intent of the law, but we can't do it. So what happens to us? We die. We don't exist in the way that God intends for us to exist. So the intent of the law is to show what you ought to do. The law says, this is what you're supposed to do. But you look at yourself and you say, I'm not doing it. I can't. What should I do now? We know we should love God. We don't know how. We just don't find it in us. Why is that? Love is not natural to us. We need Jesus Christ who would give us that love. 
naturally, every one of us want to serve and love ourselves. We might love someone else for a short time, and we find someone else and we love. Now, the only person who is there is our obligation that we should love that person, but we don't. If we have a choice, we love ourselves. That's why you would eat from that tree, because loving God requires Jesus Christ. You need Christ to love God. Without love for God, it's impossible to obey, because respect is motivated by love. If you don't eat from the tree, it's out of pride. Your ability to resist the urge of eating is out of your own ability, your work. But if you love God, then you respect God, and you would not want to break his heart. But you know what? Fear is fragile. And sometimes it succeeds. You succeed in overcoming your fear. But ultimately, sin will win because your flesh is fueled for sin. Your flesh makes sins stronger. What was missing in the garden was not the lack of Adam's ability to resist sin or to disobey God. But what's lacking in the garden was Jesus Christ. What's lacking in your life right now? If you cannot love God, if you, you have to really think about it. If love is, is thing that you do on Sunday, what's lacking in your life, I would dare to say, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's lacking. Christianity without Jesus Christ, I don't know what it is. So what is the law? What's the intent of the law? Galatians 3, 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law points to Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. So right now you're sitting there and you're thinking, how do I love God? How do you love God? The apostle answered this question by saying, the law of God points to Jesus Christ. And for you to have Jesus Christ, you must have faith, not works. You must have faith. Faith in what? Faith in what Jesus Christ has said. What did Jesus Christ say? everything that's written in the Bible that you have. If you believe in the Bible, then you should obey it. How do you obey it? Do what the Bible tells you to do. Faith is not, oh, I believe. No, that's not what faith. Faith is obedience. What the Bible tells you to do, you obey it. That's what faith is. If not, then you have no faith. James says, show me a man who has worked, and I'll show you the man who has faith. Without Christ, the flesh is weak and cannot fulfill the law's demand. The intent of the law is love, but we cannot love until we have faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you believe in Jesus Christ, then do what he asks you to do. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, accomplished two things. First, he fulfilled the law's requirement and ended it, Romans 10.4. He ended the law's requirement, and therefore, if you are in Christ, you no longer have to obey the law. It's no longer necessary because love is the fulfillment of the law. You will now not eat from the tree, not out of your own ability to resist that urge, but because you love God and you wouldn't want it. Secondly, he set the flesh free from the law by spiritual rebirth. So when Jesus Christ died, he set you free. Now you can be reborn and now you can be adopted because God cannot adopt a sinner. God only adopts those who are righteous because God is righteous. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are righteous because God declares that you are righteous. Now he can adopt you. From law to love. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, 
not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before the world began. Before Adam, before the tree, before the law, before everything you read in Genesis chapter 1, before all of that, God's intent and purpose is to save you. Why would he save you if he didn't know that you were going to sin? And if he knew you were going to sin, didn't he have the power to stop you from sinning? If all that happened, he must have permitted it. Why? For what reason? So that you would not pride yourself in your own ability to come to God because no one can come to God without Jesus Christ. His original intent and purpose is grace, is love. And he sent Jesus Christ before the world began. So that in Jesus Christ, you can have love. That's God's intent. God wanted us to be in Christ, not be in Adam. God wants you to be born again after Adam and into Christ. And now you are God's children. God's intention in the beginning was so that you would have his love, not his law. So that you would be free and not be bound by the urge to resist. Do you want to live a life that you, everything that you see around you is prohibition. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do anything. That's not God's intent. God's intent is to set you free, that you know what is right and what's wrong. No. To be free. There is no nothing that is wrong in God. There is nothing wrong in God. There's everything wrong in Adam. There's the possibility of sin in Adam. There is no possibility of sin in Jesus Christ. There's only the possibility of love. That's God's intent. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful. It is not that you have to resist. It is because you want to. You want to love God. Jesus Christ is the end of the law. To show how much God loves us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the law on our behalf. We can't do it. Jesus Christ did it for you and I. Christ's perfect life was in obedience to God. He did not violate any law while he was in the human form. He was the embodiment of God's grace to us, toward us, and he condemned sin. He took your sin with him on the cross, and he died, and your sin died with him. That's what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. When your sin died with him, your flesh does not feed into sin anymore. No longer become the fuel for sin. And now you are set free because there's no sin in the person who is born again. The death of Christ on the cross, he sacrificed himself on the cross so that it can no longer, sin can no longer reign in us. Hebrews 9, 26. The death of Christ on the cross was the end of sin for those who are in Christ. So when you are in Christ, meaning when you believe in Jesus Christ, there's no more law. In Christ, there is no more law. Let me refer you back to the story, the disciples with Christ. They were walking through the cornfield and they picked the corn to eat and they were reprimanded for eating the corn on the Sabbath day. Jesus' response is, they did not break any law because they were in the temple. And the priest says, what temple? And Jesus Christ says, I am the temple. When you are in Christ, you are in the temple of God. And when you're in the temple of God, just like the priests in the temple, they work in the temple, but it's not counted to them as breaking the law because no one's supposed to work. But when they're in the temple, they're exempt. When you are in Christ, you are exempt. The law does not have dominion over you. You are under grace, not under law. Set the captive free. Sin does not have power over the Christian because we are no longer under law, but under 
grace. There's someone who is greater than the law here, the one that ended the law, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus has satisfied God's justice by paying the penalty of sin for us. Note, Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin for us. He did not pay the devil. God did not owe the devil anything. God paid this penalty of sin for us because we violated God's law. And there has to be satisfaction. Remember last week I talked about justice. There has to be satisfaction. And Jesus Christ made satisfaction to God for us on our behalf. So now we don't owe God anything. Those who are in Christ do not owe God anything. We are his children. And therefore, if we don't owe God anything, you are free. You're no longer under the curse of the law. I remember one time, I came home and there was a car in front of the house. I recognized the car, it was my car. It was my car, but that car I purchased for someone else, using my credits. It was under agreement that the person who I purchased the car for, supposed to pay for the car on a monthly basis, and pay for insurance on a monthly basis. I started the whole process by paying for the car, but then I transfer the payment to the person, and I started processed by paying insurance for a car, and then transfer the monthly payment to the person. After two years, I saw the car in front of my house. Car hadn't been paid for for two years. There was no insurance on the car. Person had decided, oh, it's time to return the car. I've done using the car. So I saw it in the, uh, the driveway. I didn't pay attention. To it. I think it was on Saturday, I had to go to church. When I came home, the car was not there anymore. So at first I thought someone must have stole it. And uh, so I called around and called police. And the police said, no, 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 no. We have your car. It's been repossessed. The only way for me to get the car back was to pay for the car. I had no money. My family came together and got enough cash, and then we went down to the county office, paid for the car, I drove the car home. I was angry, I was upset, I was overwhelmed by the generosity of my family. There's nothing I can do to the other person, and there's nothing I can do for my family. I remember this is what my mom says to me. She knew I was, I was torn, I didn't know what to do. And she said this, she said, don't worry about the family. You should think downstream to time. What does that mean? It means this, if you have received grace, Give grace. Don't give it to us. You can't. What has been done has been done. So I live my life in that mode. When I receive something from someone, I think about doing something for someone else. That's how we ought to live. You see, you and I, we can never repay God. There's nothing that we can do to repay God. But there are so many things that we can do for each other. That's love. If you think about repaying God, that's not love, that's work. But if you receive from God and you express love to others, that's love, that's not work. And that's how we change the world. God set us free so that we can love. That is the intent of God. When the disciple came to him and said, when did we ever do anything for you? When did we saw you hungry and we feed you? When did we see you in prison and we come and visit you? When did we see you thirsty and brought you something to drink? When did we see you naked and clothe you? 
Do you remember what Jesus Christ's response was? When you have done this unto the very least of these, you have done it unto me. That's love. God does not require you and I to pay him anything. To love God is not to find ways somehow repaying God for the things that he had done for us. Loving God is when you show love to someone else on Christ's behalf. That's love. That's how we love. That's how we love God. You're free to love. The law tries to prevent evil. That's what the law does, but cannot compel you to do what is good. If you obey the law, you basically didn't do anything wrong, but you have not done anything good. That's the extent of the law. That is not the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of Jesus Christ has no law. So the only thing you can do in the kingdom of Christ is to love. Do you understand this? The law intent is to make a society that everyone don't do anything bad to each other, but it does not promote any kind of love. A city that's built on love liberates its inhabitants, freely sacrificing on behalf of others. That is the city that I want to live in. Those people who want to do good for other people. That is the city of Jesus Christ. It's built on love, not built on law. It's not I have to do this, but I want to do this. I love to do this. I don't have to be here, but I want to be here because I love to be here. I hope that everything that we do here, your worship, your time, your commitment, it's not that you have to, but because you want to and you desire to and you love to. That's a different motivation. And you can easily tell when people do something out of love and when they do something because they have to. Just look at their face. You can see it. Authentic freedom is the recognition of the truth when our minds have been liberated by the delusion of the devil meaning the lies of the devil, and turn to worship the living God who loves us unconditionally, only then will we be free indeed. And that's what Jesus Christ says. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Free to love, free to sacrifice, free to do those things that otherwise you would never do. That's what Jesus Christ does. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us, your mercy toward us, Lord, you didn't set us so that we would have to live a life in constant fear of trying to measure up to the requirement of your law, but that through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have been set free from this mindset, free from this bondage of the curse of doing the right thing or wanting to do the right thing. But your love has given through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, enable each one of us a new birth in Jesus Christ, allowing us to love and to do those things that are hard, that are difficult, but we love to do them. We love to sacrifice. We love to give up. We love to lay down not just our time, our strength, our energies, but Lord God, also our lives in the service to love other people. And in doing so, Lord, we show the love of Jesus Christ. For you have loved us to the point of going to the cross and die for us. I ask, Lord, that you motivate each one, each heart, each mind, each soul today, not out of fear of the law, but out of love for Christ, that we begin to see things differently and that we begin to operate in the newness of life, not in the old law of the letter and of, of the flesh. 
Motivate us, Lord, by your spirit of this awe, this wonder that we have been adopted into the family of God. And now we are children of God, free, pleasing to the Father. Allow us to love each other unconditionally through the love of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.